City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars Working in the Theatre This seminar, Unions and Guilds A warm welcome to the American Theatre Wings working in the theatre seminars. Now in their 24th year, they are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York. And as many of you already know, the wing is more than the Tony Awards. And these Tony Awards are given for a distinguished achievement in the theatre. We are an organization whose year-round programs are dedicated to serving the theatre and the community and with a goal of developing new audiences. To achieve that goal, we have created audience development programs for students, like uh, Introduction to Broadway, and through our newest program, Theater in School Theater, professionals like those you will meet today go directly into classrooms to work with and talk to students about working in the theater. In addition, we have our hospital program, which dates back to World War II and the stage door canteen. We bring the magic of theater to those who cannot get to the theater itself. We are proud of the work we do, happy to have this wonderful working relationship with the theatrical community, and I'm grateful to everyone who makes what the American Theater Wing does possible. We hope that you will enjoy and learn from today's seminar, which is extremely important. Let me introduce today's panel. From your right, Shirley Hers, Association of Theatrical Press Agents and Managers, Bernice Weiler, Association of Theatrical Press Agents and Managers, Dean Brown, United Scenic Artist Costume Design, and Julianne Boyd, Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers, George White, President of the Eugene O'Neill Theatre Center, and our most esteemed director, both here and abroad. And Conrad Folks, Actors' Close. Equity Association. Muriel Stockdale, United Scenic Artist Sets. Barry Moss, Casting Society of America. Now, I shall turn it over to our moderator, George White, who will begin by questioning these heads of the unions and guilds <coughs> and societies as to what it is and why it is that makes the theater work. George, would you go on now? Yes. Thank you, Isabel. Um, I'm delighted to have this um, panel and this program because uh, it's, it's one that isn't uh, generally, these are issues that we don't generally have in these seminars. And uh, I hope we can get a little controversial here too today um, because um, the unions uh, in, in so many areas, I'm, I'm sorry we don't have either the mus musicians or the stagehands with us, but um, we, we have almost all of the rest of the theater represented today. Um, and, you know, I think it's important to find out why, why are there unions? Why do we need unions? We've heard, well, the unions, we've even heard the unions are killing the theater. The expense of the theater uh, is due to the unions. It's at their uh, feet. All these things go on. Uh, and, I, and the unions are very, very, uh, a very vital part of, uh, and a necessity, I feel, as a member of the uh, Juliana's uh, union myself. But I think we should, I think everybody should hear why. 
But to start, I think we should begin on, on Asbury first. Uh, and, and if we could go around a little bit, not how do you get into the union if you're not in the union, but how did you specifically get into your union? What uh, intrigued you to, and what does your union do? I think all of those things would be a good way to start our program. Well, uh, <coughs> right off the bat, we're not a union uh, yet. We're a collection of professional <coughs> casting directors who are um, attempting to become a union. Why? Um, for protection, for uh, uh, benefits, for, for the idea. Uh, the reason we formed this guild is that um, everybody thinks that their niece's uh, boyfriend can cast a movie or a play or a TV show. That's such an easy thing to do. And we wanted to let the public know and, and also people in the industry know that there are certain people who have been in it a long time, who are professional, who know what they're doing, and they can put the letters CSA beside their name. And that's the reason we fight so hard to get those letters. Distinguish between the people who just had it fall in their lap and really don't know what they're doing. And those of us, like my partner Julie Hughes and I, have been in the business for 20 years. And uh, so there's this strict uh, regulations in, in getting into the union. You have to be, have online credit for several years. You have to have two letters of recommendation by other members of the association and you have to be voted on by the entire membership. Wow. Um, but what happened with me was a little easier because the, the uh, organization was founded on the West Coast and when they decided to expand it to the, to the East Coast, they invited several of us to be the founding members of the East Coast branch and I was one of them. Okay. So. Here you go. Do you have to draw a straight line? Uh, well, it's a good idea if you can draw a straight line. Um, but you can use a ruler. Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. um, I feel very privileged and honored to be a member of the United Scenic Artists uh, Local 829. It's um, in a lot of ways a, uh, a union that is more of a guild, that is uh, a, a representation of, of great quality and skill. Um, so when I joined oh, 15 years ago, I was, I was really excited, really, really excited to join. And How did you get in? How, what do you have to do? I that? had to, um, at that time, things have changed now, but at that time you had to take an exam. Um, first you had to show your portfolio and then take an exam, and I was, um, I can draw very well, so I was very lucky. They let me in without taking the exam, which made me feel pretty good. I wasn't looking forward to that exam. What was um, on the exam? Or is this, I'm well, pushing because I think people should know. I originally much. took, uh, the first exam that I took was for costume design and later I took a, a scenery exam. And um, the exam consisted of, uh, of doing the designs for a show that was assigned to you by the union, kind of like a, a college project. Um, and, um, and really working out the whole design of the show and, and then being able to discuss it intelligently. Um, the assignment at that time was the interview with the vampire. So it was a wonderful piece of material. Um, I, I feel it, it's great to be part of a union because um, there's protection uh, in terms of your fees and rates and, um, and uh, on-the-job protection in terms of uh, uh, liability, health, and welfare, and things like that. Howard, tell us about now. Equity is—is is it the oldest union? And, and I know it started, started as a secret society. It and did. There's room into players. Oh, yes, oh, at the players. Yes. Um, uh, and well, why, you might give a little background on how you got into. 
Well, I, I think uh, Hollywood, uh, in its depiction of, of, the, of early theater, did a pretty good job of seeing how actors uh, were ill-treated by uh, those who hired them, that they were often stranded uh, in the boondocks, uh, that they rehearsed for no money. Um, I understand, uh, to digress a, sec uh, a second, that opera singers will not go on and do the last act until somebody comes around and pays them. I don't know whether the story is apocryphal or not, but the actors were never quite as clever as the opera singers, so we would all go do the whole show and not get paid. Uh, and it was, it was these abuses that, uh, that, that uh, moved the actors to strike here in, in, in New York and uh, to form uh, an association, which uh, in fact is a union, uh, but association, I think, really says as much as the word union uh, does. Um, performers who are uh, so-called freelance persons do not have a structure to move into the way other professions do. If, you, if you're a doctor, a lawyer, a uh, businessman, there is a, a structure uh, which you enter, you go to school and you learn. And even if you're a lousy lawyer, you'll probably get a job. Uh, uh, and you can expect to receive pay raises as you go along and receive the uh, uh, loyalty of the company for whom you work. And the older you get, uh, the more money you get. And you can look forward to retirement. Uh, performers don't have that. There is no structure. It's chaos out there. And the associations, uh, uh, certainly for performers, and it may be so for the other creative uh, elements uh, in the theater, offers a structure, not one that is completely fulfilling, but it's, it's something. And uh, of course, the most obvious benefits are the, uh, the wages and working conditions. Uh, performers unhappily will work for nothing. <laughs> Uh, for a while, anyway. And, and they did work for nothing. But young, young performers uh, uh, entering the business now, uh, should they work under union contracts, are guaranteed, uh, if not always a, a living wage, because a living wage is not to be made in some of the smaller theaters. Uh, if there is a living wage to be made, the, the association equity will, on behalf and in behalf of the performers, see that they get that living wage and toilet paper in the bathroom, and uh, light, and heat, and get paid. And we have a bonding policy. Explain that bonding, how that works for this. Well, if you're, going, if you're going to, uh, uh, to mount a production, uh, it does get a little complicated if you are uh, a regional theater, for instance, and, and you have an entire season of uh, productions. But uh, basically, it's how many people do you have in the cast? Let us cover two weeks of salary. Put, we'll put that money into escrow. And if something goes wrong, that money uh, will be there to pay the actors and, and to pay their health uh, premiums and put money into their pension fund. And the, the health and, uh, and pension funds are, are something else again, about which I could go on forever, but I won't. But think about this. You are a performer. Over the course of time, should you be lucky enough to have a career, you may work, and this is not, not hyperbole, for two or three hundred different people. How on earth can those people provide you with a pension plan or a health plan? Cannot be done. But a, an association, a union, and some genius a few years ago figured out a way that performers 
can have a health plan and a pension plan. And it is uh, to those geniuses who have preceded me that I give for you know, eternal thanks uh, because I have a health plan and I have three pension plans, uh, which is uh, more that some, of, if you pardon the expression, civilians can, <laughs> can lay, uh, lay claim to. But the, the bonding is, uh, which you don't get in other, in other areas of performing. You don't, get, you don't necessarily get those uh, when you're working in television or the movies, but you get, you get it in the theater. And believe me, those bonds are called upon constantly because the theater is a, is a tricky business. Uh, as far as its finances are concerned, and producers with the best intentions, uh, the most honorable folks, can can run afoul of bad luck and suddenly find that there's no there's no money in the box office. Uh, but uh, I don't know whether the scenic artists are going to get paid out of that or not. But the but the actors. Uh, well, well that's that's great, <laughs> Julianne. Um, tell me about uh, SSDNC, Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers. It's a relatively new guild. And how did that come about, and it's, how did you end union. up at, yes. at its union? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, the differentiation, but it is a union. It's called society, so one would not necessarily know that the Society of Stage Directors and Choreographers is a union, but it is. Um, well, SSDC actually became official in 1962, when, as many, I think, unions and guilds are formed, when Bob Fosse said he would not go into rehearsal for Little Me unless he got a union contract. And that's how the union was formed. The producers, the League of, then it was the League of New York producers, now it's American producers, said, okay, they wanted Bob Fosse. And oftentimes I think when the unions and guilds get anything, it's because some, one person whom the other <coughs> side wants says, no, if you want me to work for those conditions or those terms or whatever, you need to give me this. And in this instance, it was a contract. And Bob Fosse was instrumental, and Agnes DeMille was very, very instrumental in the founding of the union in a group of... Uh, directors and choreographers who felt, I think, very alone. I mean, what everyone is saying is the, is the same thing. I think the directors, choreographers are the only ones, there's one director on a show, maybe a choreographer if there's a musical, and there's no one else to talk to about your similar needs in the situation. So that if you're going out of town to work at X theater, we, we won't name the theater, but it's probably the same theater where the bond was used. <laughs> <laughs> And you say, hey, what were the conditions there? And they'll say, watch it. Get your money way ahead of time. <laughs> or, you know, the housing isn't really nice, so you better ask for something. <laughs> or, so you find out some terms about a place where you're going to work. So it's really a place where directors and choreographers can communicate with one another. Sure, then, Bernice, uh, since you both represent that, um, Pam, um, do you guys, why do you need a union? Well, Aren't you the people that deal with the unions? True. However, uh, not unlike equity, we used to have road managers that would be out on the road three, four weeks in advance of a show that might just close, not tell him, and he'd be there without train fare or whatever mm -hmm. to get back to New York. So that bunch of the old timers got together and they formed a union or an association at that point. And bonds were sought, and they didn't budge unless there was a bond there. And that was one of the reasons for forming the, pr uh, the press agents, I think, joined up in the tr with the treasurers in those days. 1938. Then the, then the managers when came was in. 1938. Really? Mm-hmm. Early on. Mm-hmm. Well, that right. was the time when the road, when people when were pulling those. Exactly. And we and all those illustrious producers that would take the money and run. 
and leave the companies wherever they were. Would you explain, general manager, the, the duties? Yeah, as opposed to, let's say, yeah, that's a general manager. Actually, as um, to the union does not represent general managers. They only represent company managers who work for the general managers and press agents. Would you make that distinction for the audience so they know what? Certainly. Uh, a producer, when he finds his piece of material and decides that he wants to hire people, will hire a general management firm. And it used to be years ago that uh, the producers who worked year-round would have a GM on their staff on a year-round basis. But now they don't do it as often, and I have said many times that general managers now audition for their jobs. And because the producers go around to various managers looking for them and decide who they would like to hire, then that general manager is responsible for the producer, to the producer rather, and does all of the work that has to be done to get the production <coughs> together. But that he may be working on more than one production at a time. Absolutely. Whereas a company manager can only work on one production at a time. And the company manager does the payrolls, the work is the contact very often with the cast. The general manager will usually work with the director doing the contracts and the major contracts. The company manager then follows through on what happens. And usually what happens is that our company managers become general managers and have their own firms. For instance, I had a general management firm for a long time, and uh, then some years ago, it was brought to my attention that wouldn't it be a good idea if you worked for the union? And I thought, what a smashing idea. I know both sides. As a matter of fact, Conrad and I have negotiated contracts together. And it's uh, very interesting how you go from one to another all the time. And you have to know all the a aspects of theater in order to really be a good manager. And even you have to know what the press agent does. Very often a general manager or a company manager will sit in on all the press conferences. You will do the bid sessions with designers. You will hire <laughs> the casting directors. The, the general manager has become the producer. The it used producer. to be that Leland ha Hayward had his office and Herman Bernstein was there. And uh, Eddie Mill was with St. Suber. And everyone had their own general manager. And the gen uh, general manager didn't pay rent. Today, the general manager pays the rent, and the producer just hires hires him. Mm. And oftentimes, the producer isn't even a theater person. So they, they end up very up, often. Yeah, they end up being, uh, and I've seen this personally too, that with either the general manager or the or the company manager is a teacher, uh, oh, somebody absolutely. who's made money in in Wall Street. And has Absolutely. to become a teacher of how we do things, as is opposed to the old right. days. Where do you all come in? The, the producer has the money, and he is going to produce the show. Who comes on board? Well, first? it's changed again. Uh, a producer used to call you and say, "I want to you as a procedure." Right now, you audition like an actor. You present your ideas and how you would handle the show. And you do a tap dance for either one producer or the whole consortium of producers. <laughs> well, no, that, isn't um, that why you need protection? Particularly if, you were to, if you're going to say this is an idea. for protection. They call it two, three, four press agents. And they do the same with general managers. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, that's a vice president or a general manager for the company. He's not going to 
take the first one. He's going to go out and say, well, no, no one's let, me, let me interview a couple of people. No one's going to steal my audition, but I can see somebody stealing your auditions. You, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. The, so, right. the producing organization used to be an entirely different entity. There were producers who did nothing but theater, and they had the general managers and the press agents and so forth, and they developed the scripts. Now, oftentimes, the scripts go to the director. The director then, you know, works with the playwright developing the script. It then goes to a producer, because the producers may be, as you say, you know, on Wall Street, where my favorite is a jeans manufacturer, you know? <laughs> and you try to find someone who has the money, and the first thing they do, I think, if they like the script and they want to move ahead, is they hire the general manager to make sure they don't make any mistakes. Mm -hmm. If they That's don't, now, the teacher again. Right. Now, I think there are a few large, you know, producing entities in New York who don't do this. This isn't all producing entities. I mean, the Schubert's don't do it this way, the Nederlanders, Drew Jamson, the three large, three large entities certainly have their own teams pretty much. Yes, pretty Depends. much. Pretty, right. However, a lot of the, the smaller independent producers, I think, look to all of us to kind of put together a whole organization. And we're all freelance. So it's like each time, I mean, what you were saying is true, each time you feel as if you're auditioning anew and you think you won't get the next job there's no next job and then you get one the next month or it doesn't look good these six months and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed so it's a very you know um kind of difficult tenuous existence because uh, you don't know where the, the other, next uh, the other thing is a producer was a producer and he produced one show after another right. and unless you did something horrific he would hire you for every show a herman shellman mm -hmm. would have bill Dahl do show after show after show so that you didn't audition yeah. and you didn't have to. And it was the same, I think, for general managers and everyone else. But what's happening now with the advent of Live End and Disney, <laughs> you're going back to the year-round kind of person who is working, or a group that is working all the time, except that you're dealing now with entities that are much larger and much stronger. Let's everybody get into that, because uh, the 42nd Street, the very nature of the 42nd Street is, is changing uh, big time, and major heavy-duty companies are coming in there. What is that going to do to all of you, or for you? Well, they're not Two uh, or four. Well, basically, if I may, where we used to be involved on collective bargaining agreements with the league, Disney and Live End and we meant, okay, have not joined I, I, I'm the just going to stop you, Bernice, a second. I, I know what you're saying, but I think let's, ex again, back explain. up. Explain the, that, that you, uh, at PAM, as, a, as an entity, dealt with... The League of American Theaters and Producers. So they were two negotiating entities for everybody. As said. all the other unions do. Right. 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 All our unions. Right. So that, you know, it was not a phenomenon for uh, ATPAC. It was, was us and Bernie Jacobs, right? <laughs> I right. Yes, remember. And it was <laughs> us and Jerry Schoenfeld and right. so on. I mean, we each had our person at the League. Now, the, there, now there are two producers on 42nd Street who are not members of the league. Correct. Correct. Do you still deal with these as union individuals? Yes. Now we are negotiating with them separately. Yes. There's no, yes. no negotiating with the league has changed too. How has mm -hmm. that changed? Well, you had Bernie, we yeah. had Jerry. And yeah, Bernie's uh, gone now. That oh. was it. This year, negotiations were run by lawyers. That's correct. Mm -hmm. Lawyers. Well, Absolutely. Yeah. Chase, it's a, a, a Bernie, Bernie Jacobs, who was a wonderful man, and although we <coughs> were across the table from him uh, 
contract after contract. Uh, we we really loved him, and his his daughter was in the his daughter is an equity man. Still is, right? Yeah. <laughs> She's so uh, uh, there was there was a part of, of Bernie that we knew we could always count on, but now, <laughs> but now uh, as it's uh, uh, been mentioned, we uh, we now would deal with uh, suits, men and women in suits. Uh, the right. what what has happened in Hollywood or what is alleged to have happened mean, in Hollywood? What do you mean? Explain that. What do you mean? Well, they are not people of the theater. They I are uh, money managers, mm -hmm. uh, people with uh, MBAs, yeah. perhaps. Mm -hmm. And uh, the the bottom line is is what mm -hmm. really counts. There is. I don't want to get mm -hmm. gushy about this, but uh, there's no. Go ahead. The heart isn't <laughs> there. I mean, yeah, what, uh, you know, with with Bernie Jacobs, you know, there, there was a there was a heart there. It's tough to negotiate. It's too interesting because he was one of the toughest negotiators yeah. I've always heard. But fair, and, and very but fair. Everyone yeah. said the same thing about it. You sat down at the table this year with the feeling they were out to break the union. Yes, mm. really. And let's oh, let's go with some more. I that. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, we're. Um, I, I agree that Disney and Livent, which is a Canadian-based producing organization, which I think has an office here in New York yes, as well, yes. Livent New York, Livent Canada, and has produced things like Showboat Candide, which is opening tonight, and so forth. And uh, we also are negotiating separately with Disney and Livent. To me, one of the problems on 42nd Street is almost not Disney and Live Ent, but the other yeah. um, producers who won't negotiate with this. I mean, if someone, as a union member, I'm going to forget whether I like them or I dislike them. I mean, my job as president of the union is to get contracts for our members. So if they'll negotiate with us, then, and if they negotiate fairly, and the negotiations proceed, whether we win or we lose, if we all come with a compromise somewhere, fine. But it's the ones who won't negotiate with you that we mind, and there are some producers getting involved in theaters on 42nd Street who are turning their backs on the union say we don't need the unions and this I think may be a, I don't want to say a more difficult problem but it's certainly something that we have to look at so what's the problem the public might ask well the, the problem is and I'll go back to something I said earlier there's there's chaos out there and we're trying to bring some order to it this is uh, we attempt to make a living doing this. We don't do this uh, out of some altruistic uh, reason to entertain the public. And once you start gnawing away or hacking away at the economic base, things will begin to fall apart. And, uh, and perhaps we won't be able to make a living. It's, 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 it's just plain economic pragmatism. It's right. a dangerous that's precedent, it seems to me. I, that's exactly I, uh, the point. And you yes, brought exactly. up something that's very important, and that is, I think, to most of us here, and that's property rights. I think actors, not, it isn't as strong. I know that it it's is. something that you're concerned about. Oh, if they make a doll out of an actor, if they make a doll out of an actor, you lose your face. Yeah, I mean, that, that issue. No, well, now with you have recording, yes. we, have a, we have a very complicated uh, uh, problem in that once we have this piece recorded, if it's a Broadway show, an off-Broadway show, we have a lot of different people who have rights in, right. in that. Well, Mike Kisser may be out front, but uh, your work is there, and Bernice's work is there, and Dean's work is there. Everyone's work is there. How are we going to control the, mm -hmm. the distribution and exploitation of, of recorded material in the theater? A good question to which we have not yet no, found no, all the no, answers. But on our performance seminars, Seminar after seminar, the performers talk about getting the experience that they have to become a star or a future player, whatever it is, by working for nothing, by working in resident companies, and, and by being practically gophers, and that was the only way 
to learn their trade and get the experience that they did and that they need to become featured actors. You are, are saying we're protecting you, really, from doing that. No, uh, not, from no. working for nothing no. because these companies these companies can't afford those. <coughs> these little companies that are giving them experience can't afford Oh, but we have, we have many, many, many of those companies throughout the United States where uh, the, the actors receive a pittance. There are... Well, you go into the journeyman, you know, you might go... And they're permitted to work and... They are permitted to work for, for not a living wage. Uh, the actors... If they, if, if they feel that this is giving, and this is almost like a barter. Yes. I'll, I'll work for this because I'm getting right. the experience of of working. Which and I they, and they do. I think we all have that in various right. internships, mm -hmm. apprenticeships, <coughs> and all things actors. like that. No, hmm? we don't have oh, it. Oh, oh, you have the, you have oh, yes, you do. Yes, we do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, come on, yeah, the journeyman, the apprentice, all that oh, stuff. We, oh, well, uh, uh, for those of you who uh, are too young to remember who were never in the theater, uh, years ago, actors went out and worked in summer stock as apprentices. Uh, there was a, a, a little rule that uh, if in your second season you did two or three shows, I don't remember what it was, the third show they had to sign you to, a, to an equity contract. And the summer theater has uh, changed dramatically. It, uh, it practically does not exist. So now we have, uh, we have something called the... Um, what, it, what is it called? <laughs> the Equity Membership Candidate Program, and I should know the name because I helped create it 20-some years ago, in which uh, young, young people, uh, presumably young, uh, still in school or just out of, out of school, work with uh, primarily resident theater companies, although it's been extended to uh, uh, commercial uh, for-profit theaters in some cases. Uh, and. Uh, I don't mean to be trivial about it, but they get brownie points toward equity membership. And after they've uh, uh, served, uh, accumulated enough brownie points, uh, they can take a test with 40 brownie points and be issued an equity contract, or they can go to fi get 50 brownie points that represents a Is week. this well known? Because In, this is the first time I've heard of yeah. it. Oh, yes. It's, it's quite well known among the regional regional theaters. It's also because, known... Uh, to, to, to be candid about it, they have, How do you start? That it's a catch-22 question. No, you have to be a member, and you can't work with non-members, and uh, how do you get on to uh, uh, equity? You without being a member of equity, and, then, right. and then once you get the, the job, you become a member of equity. George didn't ask me, but that's how I got my equity card. I got it by auditioning for a Broadway show and getting the part. The producer right. didn't care two hoops <laughs> whether or not I had an equity card. He just wanted to know if I could remember the lines and not bump well, into the show. Hmm? What, what was the show? Uh, it was called uh, Howie, uh, had uh, Peggy Conklin in it, and Leon Ames, and a young lady whose name was on the cover of the uh, book review section of the Times either Sunday or the week before, Patricia Bosworth. Oh, that's uh, I was going to leap in and say uh, um, about joining Equity, in fact, I, I'm a member of Actors' Equity as well, and that's how I came in. I did three Equity shows or whatever. Um, so it is well known, and United Scenic Artists is at the moment uh, developing an intern program, which we hope to uh, put into effect. Shirley, uh, 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 you said you have, a, you have also for, for your union, you have uh, internships and, and a developmental 
we have to actually we have it on several levels uh, some of us have relationships with the various universities around so that we always get interns and uh, in our offices and mm -hmm. our people do then the union itself but the interns let me interrupt for a second aren't, aren't necessarily people that are going to want to join the union i have interns who just want to see what it's all about some of them do and some of them want to join the unions very much and uh realize how important it is as a matter of fact i had one university come up just last week and they brought four of their stu graduating students and they were mfa students and we talked and so on and they went to various places around they went to ssdnc mm -hmm. And I got a letter back from one of them saying that she was very interested in what was going on in the theater, wanted to work as an intern for one of our members or anybody that she could, either in marketing or as a company manager. And that's how you sort of get into an office and get a start. Hi, what is the f basic Broadway salary for a musical or I think uh, it's 1,044 uh, performers. Uh, chorus people uh, usually make a little bit more because for every special thing they do there's something called an increment so while uh, the young actor comes out and says the coach waits without my lord uh, I think the basic salary is a thousand forty for him or her and uh, uh, somebody who comes out and sings and dance and does a special number will probably make a little bit more yeah. the stage managers have a different scale yeah. they get slightly more uh, as to the rest of the theater we I don't know how many uh, collective bargaining agreements we have uh, for actors and stage managers in this country, but that's the maximum minimum salary, and it goes all the way down to, to about $125 a week, or even further down to people <laughs> who are doing showcases mm. who literally get car fare and and no more. Uh, what, is what is that? What is what is the uh, if you design a Broadway I, show? I, I, well, I, is there a basic? There floor? is a basic fee, and I have to say I don't really remember what it is. There are a lot of. It's I it, it it's. We cover um, sets, lights, and costumes, so yeah, there are different things. Yeah. And then each contract is different depending upon the number of characters, the number of costumes, the number of sets, whether the sets is So there's no multiple. floor. There's not like there, yeah. well, there, is a, there is a floor, mm -hmm. but it varies. And, and one problem, or plus on Broadway these days, is it's basically the same 10 designers doing everything. Yeah. So uh, they're not working for minimum. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, All right, that's right. And yeah. if you work in the uh, in the regionals, there are basic well, floors there that's too. But the the thing is, it's it's not a working wage. I mean, it's not a living wage, really. It's uh, to design a show, um, a, a couple of thousand, fifteen hundred. But then you get to work for a couple of months to design it, to spend uh, money building models, doing drawings, all kinds of things, and. Uh, many theaters. It doesn't go a long way. It doesn't go a long way, and many many theaters, uh, well, the Lord theaters uh, do not offer per diem, so you end up out of town spending your own money wherever you are. Um, they may offer housing, but you don't know if you're going to show up and find yourself in a room with somebody else. So you have to you know you have to be very careful, and this is where the union becomes useful because you can call the union and say, I'm going to this theater. What, what is the housing like mm -hmm. and, and what kind of tricks have they pulled before? Because I, I've had that happen to me where I, uh, they tell me I'm, they're giving me a room, whatever, and I think I'm going to be in a hotel room, and the next thing I find out I have a roommate that I've never met before. And it's very, it's very strange. So, um, <laughs> shades of yeah. summer stuff. What, yeah. what, what about, what about that, And what is the, the basic minimum, is it for, let's say, GM and manager, oh, I'm sorry, managers and, 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 
and press it. Uh, it's 13.55 for a manager and 15.45 for a press, press agent. Mm -hmm. That is on a major show in New York yeah. or on the road. Thank but you. the one thing that the unions do have is the portable pension and the portable health plans, which means that you get paid wherever you go. But each employer pays into the union's plan. Mm -hmm. And that has been really the greatest thing that's happened. Oh, the health plan particularly. Mary, who pays you? We're paid by the producers. We're paid by the producers. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a minimum per se, but we get a fee mm -hmm. to, to start the show. And then. And then we, we get a fee up front to cast the show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we presumably get paid on the first day of rehearsal. Ha ha. And. Do <laughs> and you have a bonding yet? You don't yet. No. Set up. No. No. And the problem with casting is once your job is done, they don't need you, they don't care about you. I've actually gotten thrown out of an opening night. <laughs> saying, what are you doing here? You're, you know, I said, I'm the casting director. I said, well, you can't know what's allowed backstage. I said, if a lighting designer wanted to come back, I said, well, of course she's the lighting designer. You know, so I mean, Interesting. We, we get no respect. <laughs> I'd like to uh, touch on, you were asking about run-ins with other unions, and, and United Scenic Artists is facing a particular problem, jurisdictional problem, mm -hmm. uh, and that is that a lot of our scenic artists are, that is, the people who actually paint the scenery, um, are not working because the work is being done by IA members, stagehands, outside of the New York City area. And uh, with the advent of Livent, um, <laughs> we have shows being built in Canada, Canada and brought down here. I'm going to get into uh, a little bit more of, of the uh, the age-old issue, and I think it is age-old, uh, it's certainly ages-old perhaps, uh, about um, the, the fact that the, the cost of going to the theater and doing the theater has done nothing but escalate over, over the years. And we talked about Bernie Jacobs before, who always said that that's a, that is a legitimate cost, that uh, if you have to spend uh, 65 $75 or more for a ticket, that was uh, what it costs, and everything has gone up. You know, even pump a nickel is now pump a quarter. I don't know. Uh, but uh, you be ashamed of yourself. I'm sorry, that wasn't my <laughs> joke. Uh, anyway, but uh, but things have have indeed uh, uh, gone up. And let, let's start with uh, the uh, press agents and managers. Uh, do you feel that uh, that uh, first of all, are the prices uh, legit? Is there Perhaps uh, is is it overpriced? That's a tough question. I know it's right, and then everybody uh, leap in. And then what's being done? Because we can talk about the alliance and the new ideas too coming along. But I want to toss it because you have to deal first with the money side. Well, is it uh, appropriate? Well, first place I have to say that I've been looking for a new car, and I find it amazing how the prices have risen. So I think there's something to say about the fact that everything has gone up in the past 10, 15 years. But I think also you have to take into consideration that you only do eight shows a week. And you cannot get any more out of it than the eight shows. If you go to the movies, you can show, that many more, show it that many more times and get your money back that way. Television, you have a huge audience. But here, if you're in a thousand-seat theater or a two-thousand-seat theater, times eight, that's it. And that's all the money that you can make. And would you look at what it costs to run a show in a week? and the amount of money that you get and the amount of money that the show physically costs, the prices are not out of hand on that score. The fact that they're too much, the answer is yes. How you cut that back, I think, happens is a matter of artistry and what people want is quite true. 
And you think you don't think that the actuals are out of line to cost that much? Now, one of the things I was I was setting you up too, Shelley, because I know even the advertising in the New York Times. Am I not exactly. right that it costs yeah. more uh, to right. advertise on the theater page than, let's say, on the lingerie Absolutely. page? Absolutely. Also, you have to bear in uh, mind that our tickets have no shelf life. If we don't sell that ticket today, we can't sell the same ticket tomorrow. It's not as though we're selling stockings that remain on the shelf to be sold the next day or the following day. So all that has to be taken in consideration. Then why don't you have a rush program? A lot of places do. And you have the TDA. And you have the TKT. And that is not enough to go, but at the theater, if you knew that you're within an hour of curtain time, well, that you could get tickets for not half price, but lower than that. Well, rent has that, certainly. It's one Very, of the A few of them have it. Jacqueline Hyde also, $20 yeah. rush. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, but but it, people it, don't want to sit upstairs anymore. It's very interesting. They want the best seats. Mm. For About 14 years ago, I don't think when so. the Taj opened, Alan Carr said, I want to make a $10 ticket available. People didn't want to walk up to the top of the balcony. They I never sold them. Oh, no, absolutely yeah. true. Really. Well, was that the second balcony? Mm -hmm. That's and uh, the second now balcony is now called the balcony, by the way. It's called what? The balcony. You have now, you have a mezzanine, and then you have a rear mezzanine. <laughs> and that's right. That's <laughs> true. What about, what about the $7.50 ticket? Uh, because that was what movie prices were at the time. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the, you can go and see a live Broadway show, hit Broadway show for the same price as the movie, and nobody wanted to buy those tickets. And what's the uh, alternative? Well, I, I almost hesitate to talk about it because I only read a, 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 a brief, but something called the uh, uh, Broadway Initiative. Is that? Anyway, there's, there's more talk about uh, uh, facing the economic problems and the lack of, of good plays on Broadway, not big musicals, but theater as we all, all remember it. And uh, uh, perhaps uh, creating a monetary pool that might, might help promote uh, a theater on uh, Broadway, uh, good plays. So it's in the formative stages now, but I think the important thing is that there is a, a willingness among uh, the, the creative folks on Broadway uh, uh, to do something about the, the dearth of, uh, of of plays, and although so, so this season there have been some damn good ones. Had, you're including right. the theater owners and the creative people because they are very much behind it too, mm -hmm. the Broadway Initiative. Is that what they, this yeah. this was called? I, I also want to get in a little bit about that because again it's protecting, we know about the, um, oh, we, we were getting into now the, the financial side, there's another side that, that uh, unions uh, and guilds and societies <laughs> Uh, have to address and are addressing more and more, which uh, we started to talk about it in terms of recordings, but that is the quote intellectual property uh, protection beyond the financial, and out of that obviously comes royalties and possible merchandising rights and everything. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about, I mean, it, uh, the issues like the director that does something, where does director's work start and the playwrights end and all of that? Yeah, well, that's that actually is a big issue facing uh, the society of stage directors and choreographers right now. We actually have a case that we're going to court on uh, involving, some of you might have read about it, Love, Valor, and Compassion. Um, Joe Mantella directed the original Broadway Alliance production of Terrence McNally's play, 
and um, the script, <coughs> for instance, the, the director directed the play. Oh, At the yeah. top of the play, Terrence <coughs> McNally has in the script a bare stage. Well, Joe Mantella came up with a big hill, a mound, just to uh, signify the uh, Adirondacks or something. And there's a little, there's a little dollhouse on the top of this mound. This is the scenic element. He worked with the set designer. They came up with this thing. The, uh, the four or five men in the show were in certain positions at the top of the show to show their relationships. Not, this was not written in the script. Well, Joe Mantella found out that there was a production in Florida that had the same set and the same positions of the actors, indeed the same relationships. At one point, Terrence McNally has in the script, the young men go to their separate bedrooms. Well, there were no separate bedrooms. There was just this little hill with a, with a house on it. So what he did is he, he had square, he said he wanted the bedroom signified by different squares of light. Again, he worked with the lighting designer, and those at Brian McDermott. McDevitt. McDevitt. And so there were five pools of light, and each actor was in a different pool of light. Well, when Joe saw that production down in Florida, it's the exact same positions. That is not in the script. So who owns what? What is the contribution? And our union's very strong feeling is, as you can tell, um, that the director, this is a surprise, that, that the director owns his work, that a script is written. There's the script. It becomes dimensional. And the, con and the director not only moves the actors around, but he contributes something to the relationships of those characters. And sometimes it can be quantified. I mean, sometimes it can't. But I think the designers, if I'm not mistaken, are joining in this. Yes. They're, they're ha they have their own suit, because lawyer Asinas, who did the set design, feels that his set design was duplicated. And our feeling is, is that, you know, if you want to duplicate the work, it's okay. But you know what? You've got to pay oh, us yes, for yeah. it. You've got to tell us ahead of time. You've got to give credit to the person. And you have to pay us for it. So uh, this is, I think, a really big problem for directors, for designers. And it, it's, when, it's when you originate a production, if you see your work follow, you know, and, and you know it's your work. It's not, you know, what was in the script. And so it's important that I think as creators, as creative artists on a project, that we get our, our due or recognition in some way. And if Joe Mattel says, hey, yeah, great, you can do it, that's great, do my work, I'll even sign off on it. Maybe he doesn't want compensation. I think in this point he does. But I think at one point, you know, it, it, as long as you're acknowledged to some extent or you're reimbursed are the two ways. Well, you get, but it, it, certainly you get from either Dramatist Play Service or, or Samuel French, you get a script. You get, you get the script and it says, uh, you know, Charlie move, uh, moves down left. Right. I mean, that's director's work, probably, or not the playwright's picked up from the production. How, you, how do you protect it? Okay, now, now, now you yeah. brought up the other right. problem. Because, On purpose. Uh, oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> the, the other problem that we didn't realize that when we started all of this, I mean, we didn't look for this, but it sort of came to us that people were saying, well, you have to look at the Samuel French version or the Dramas Play Service or Tamswood Mark or whatever it is. And so how do they get that script? And if that's the yeah. director's work, how did, that, how did that get in there? So one of the things we say is that in, in the past, the stage manager has always provided the production script to the publishers. And they actually get paid to prepare the script. But the director doesn't get anything for the director's work, his, direct, his or her directions. 
And so we're saying the same thing to the publishers. You know, this is done in amateur theaters and, and, or professional theaters all over the country, and the director's work is in there. And it doesn't belong to the playwright, it doesn't belong to the publishing company, but if the playwright wants to make a deal with the director and say, I'll pay you, I want to put this in the script, or the playwright could say to the publisher, if you want, I don't care if it's there, but if you wanted to sell your play better, then reimburse the person who did it or get them again get them to sign off if they don't necessarily want money it just hasn't been a practice in the past and we're seeing that it's all all in and, and you know it's a collaboration theater is really sure. a right. collaboration mm -hmm. and, and there's I think, the rub and we have to everyone has to recognize that we're not little islands that we work together but that also means that we all get reimbursed for our work well one one way to no, go on. One way is to copyright the work. Absolutely. Good now, point. how do we copyright the work? I'll give you, I'll give you the solution and the problem that keeps <laughs> it from working. Because we've had choreographers who say, let me take the tape from Lincoln Center and send it to Washington and copyright my work. Not so easy because everybody else uh, also has a right to control that, that work. The performers, the dancers, uh, whoever may have written the music, who may have written the lyrics, uh, they all have a right in, in this. And what has not been achieved yet is, is cooperation among all of the creative personnel who uh, have contributed to that tape, which could be used to copyright the director's work and the choreographer's work. And sometimes, although it would be rare, even what the actor may have done because I was in a play off Broadway where we created a lot of the I, of I the dialogue. I, well, yeah. we came it, it's it's very very hard. We've had to uh, directors want a tape want to sell their work or to to uh, uh, document it. But we've got to get permission from all of those other people uh, because the we can't rely on the fact that director will guarantee that nothing ever will happen to that tape other uh, than its Is intended it purpose. Is the library enough for that? If it's just for documentation that they want? I, I think that you have to send the to work send to, to, to Washington yeah, to get it copyrighted. And the choreographers have it a little easier because they can lab and notate their work. Mm -hmm. They can write it down. The director, it's harder for you to figure out exactly what the director has done. But you know, I wanted yeah. to, to know how you could differentiate between the playwright's directions and the director who is following the playwright's directions. Doesn't add anything to it except his persuasion or his, his tone in speaking to the actors or whatever it might be, but he is following the directions that the playwright has set down. I think you're, Isabel, you're giving the best of all possible worlds. That, that, I mean, I think we do a little bit more than like persuade people in a, in a tone of voice, although that's also very important. I think one of the ways that we're trying to, you know, we haven't figured out how to do this. If we did, believe me, we would have everything copywritten, and we're working on it. I think one of the things that we feel is if we look at the script at the beginning of the rehearsal, and we see what stage directions are given there, what's in the script, and if you look at the script at the end of rehearsal, the easiest things to figure out are the actual stage directions, the actual moves. The, the fact that a scene changes or the motivation at the end of the play changes after the director and the playwright have had a lot of conversations with the actors, you know, we're going over the scene, but the director's there working with the playwright behind the scenes, and we have to figure out a way that some of those contributions, we had um, Jerry Gutierrez 
directed the production of Most Happy Fellow. And one of the interesting things that he was able to do is he actually reorganized the numbers in the show, changed scenes around, and introduced props in, in numbers that had not been there originally. He was able to copyright that. And document that. He, was, he documented it and copyrighted it so that when it came up that someone can, you know, literally took his production and said to the actors, do what you saw in the New York production, he had his documented. So it's, a, it's very difficult, but we're encouraging directors to get the work copyrighted. Mm -hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's an, a, really an excedrin headache. Because I... Yeah, how do you feel? Because I, you know, as a director too, you, 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 and you know, you work with an actor. Now the actor yeah. is doing a lot of creativity yeah. with, the, with the director on top of the playwright's input. So it is collaborative, and the actor brings something that perhaps the director was the midwife to that inspiration of the actor or maybe it was the other way the actor said hey what if I do this wouldn't this be great and the director says hey wow that's great I, and I, then who gets I it? have to jump in with a little anecdote well, I was taught by Sidney Lumet at the School of Performing Arts and he says now what we're going to do is we're going to take the play and we're going to eliminate all the stage directions right. yeah. <laughs> we will pay absolutely no attention to what the playwright said or anybody at Samuel French may have said yeah. I'm establishing director's rights here we have some questions and <laughs> you're talking about how people get trained earlier in the earlier seminar and uh, I'm, I was happy that the program existed and now I'm an equity member and I'm wondering what the upcoming changes regarding the union well it, it, it simply will come down to everybody will have the opportunity to audition but the equity actors will audition as equity actors and the non-equity actors will also be given the opportunity by the producers to audition which in effect is really what what was when I joined the, the theater there were no mandated auditions at all uh, and then we achieved mandated auditions in our contracts and then someone uh, found uh, a, a piece of legislation that uh, we were aware of that you can't discriminate against uh, and, and now we're simply cleaning that up and everybody will have a chance to get the job but the equity actors would like to audition as equity actors. Uh, returning to the issue of a director's intellectual property rights, um, do you think if a, if a legal definition of a director's property rights is achieved that it could actually cause a rift between dramatists and directors and actually mm -hmm. undermine the collaborative process? I, I hope not. I think that a director's work is a director's work and a playwright's work is a playwright's work. Actually, in the case that I was just talking about, Love, Valor, and Compassion, Terrence McNally is very supportive of Joe Mantella's claim. So in this instance, this certainly has not been a problem. Um, I think that it's important, as, as George was saying, I mean, we're collaborating. And I think we all have to realize that this is a collaboration that everyone has to get paid or represented in some way for his or her efforts. And it may be a, a, a new beginning. I mean, it may be a new way that we look at things. I mean, certainly we, with the Broadway Alliance, there's just so many new ways of looking at theater nowadays. I think this may be one of them. I think it's also yeah. happening more and more because very well-known directors are working with well-known playwrights and getting part of the subsidiary rights uh, in their original uh, contracts. Well, I'd like to have a quick go around. How many members do each one of you represent? Do you have you here. 649. How many? 649, of which two thirds are managers. We have about 2,500. Mm -hmm. About 1,200. 
39,000. <laughs> 32,000 paid up on the treasury. So. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, we have about 360. We're somewhat smaller. Obviously, us. highest bid. But this has been really, really a, a most interesting and important seminar. And I think that it's splendid that you were able to be so open and so generous with your knowledge and share it not only with us, but with each other. And uh, you're such an important part of the theater. I can't let you go away without my saying. I just wish that, that you ate as well as you did and got as much money for your, your members as you do, but that the ticket price wouldn't be so high so more of us can go to the theater. That's what the constant, constant plea that I hear as I go around the streets and, and these seminars and on the buses is why, why is the ticket price so high? And then somebody says, it's the unions. You've explained very well that it is not the unions only. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. It's the American Theater Wing Seminar and working in the theater, coming to you from the Graduate Center at the City University of New York. Thank you.